podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So, as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block, allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router, and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable, hosted by Kevin DeVries, on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. What's good, boys and girls? Two-footed podcast. Today is Friday, the 22nd of December. Hope you're all well. Hope you all have your Christmas shopping done. No last-minute nonsense now. You don't want to be out and about on the 23rd and 24th. The 23rd, because there's lots of football on. And the 24th, because I can't think of anything worse than trying to go into shops on Christmas Eve to get stuff. Absolutely not. If I didn't have everything done... And I've just about got everything done. If I didn't have everything done, people would be going without. Simple as that. Because it, there is no worse place in the world than shops on Christmas Eve. We do have Premier League action up and running for this weekend's slate of games. Last night, Crystal Palace took on Brighton. It's obviously a rivalry game. And... The fans don't like each other. The players tend to get a bit feisty. Last night's game was fairly tame by the standards of some of the games we've seen between these sides in the past. Jordan Ayew put Palace one up just before half time. Danny Welbeck equalised in the 82nd minute and the teams shared the spoils. Brighton have now gone 22 games without a clean sheet, which is the longest run of any club uh, in the Premier League, which is quite the effort. Uh, it means that Brighton go back above West Ham. However, they have now played a game more. They are eighth, West Ham's ninth, same points tally, game in hand. The Hammers this weekend hosting Manchester United. I fancy them to get at least a point. We'll talk about that with Guy after the break. So they'll go back above... Um, 
above Brighton. And with that point, they'd actually go above United as well. For Palace, they still haven't won a game in a while, so that's not great. But it does give them an extra points advantage on Everton. Everton will play away to Tottenham this weekend. I don't fancy them to get anything there. So they should go into Christmas above Everton, despite Everton being on a great run, obviously four straight wins in the Premier League. But they're a point behind Bournemouth, who've played a game less because obviously that Luton game, unfortunately, had to be postponed uh, or, well, halted. I don't know what's going to happen with it, whether they'll restart it from the time that the game ended. Will they just decide to share the points? I I don't really know what's going to happen. Maybe it's been announced. I haven't seen it anywhere. Uh, We did get good news, though, that Tom Lockyer is out of hospital. So that is is the most important thing. Um, We've got a game tonight. We've got a bunch of games tomorrow, and we've got one on Christmas Eve. So lots of football keep you all satisfied over the next couple of days. have to say I'm looking forward to some of the games tomorrow. Tomorrow's one of those days where I get to watch three games, which I'm very excited about, and then get to watch that game on, on Christmas Eve. So, you know, catch up on the others at different points. But, yeah, I'm really, really happy with how these games are scheduled. I love the fact there was a game last night. Love the fact that we've got a game tonight. 12.30, 4, 3 p.m. and a 5.30 tomorrow. And then a 1 p.m. kickoff on Sunday. This is ideal. People cribbing and crying. About, oh, why is there a game on Christmas Eve? Because I want something to watch. What do you mean? You think I'm not going to watch that game? Of course I'm watching that game. I wish it was a better game. But I'd be watching it regardless. Um, might even might even sneak some championship action in at some point. Uh, news. Jim Radcliffe is pushing to sign off on minority stake in Manchester United before Christmas. Well, he'd want to get a hurry on because it has to be done today or it can't be ratified until after Christmas. It wouldn't be ratified until Wednesday. So it seems unlikely that this deal gets done before the uh, before Christmas Day. But apparently his advisors will work late on Friday and into the weekend. The deal is going to get done. It's the deal I always said was going to happen when the club went up for sale. It was very, very obvious. They weren't actually trying to sell the club. They were trying to falsely inflate the value to sell a minority shake, a minority stake rather, for more than it was worth. Like, this 25% that he's buying for 1.25 million values the club at 5 billion. They're not worth 5 billion. And uh, shout out to all the United fans that still have Qatari flags in their Twitter bios and made a show of themselves. Um, important news from Scotland. Celtic have lifted the Green Brigade's ban. About time. The Green Green Brigade have agreed to comply with an updated rail standing, rail seating safety code of conduct. Um, The atmosphere parkhead, when they're not doing what they do, is muck, to be honest. It's It's the best atmosphere in Europe, but without them, it falls off a cliff. It really does. And I know they're not for everybody, but they're very much for me. Uh, Alaves nil, Real Madrid won in La Liga last night. That win puts Real back to the top of the league because Girona and Real Betis drew 1-1. Real Madrid needed a late, late goal by Vasquez in the, Lucas Vasquez in the 92nd minute. They'd gone down to 10 men when Nacho was sent off in the 54th minute. Um, Real suffering with injuries at the moment. But all things considered, they'll be very, very happy with how things are going. Rebecca Welch is set to make her Premier League debut and become the first 
female referee to take charge of a Premier League game. She will oversee Fulham at home to Burnley. Very, very much looking forward to seeing how she gets on. I hope she does really, really well. Obviously, she's worked her way up through the divisions. Uh, This, of course, has upset one Joseph Barton, which makes it all the better. So, really hope she does well. I think, based on what I've heard, I think she's going to be quite a good addition. Like, let's be honest. Sian Massey is the best lines person, referee's assistant in the league. So, I'm not sure why we'd have any doubts over Rebecca Welch. I really don't know why we'd have doubts over her. She's refereed big games. She's refereed two women's FA Cup finals. She's refereed up through the divisions. She's worked as part of Premier League match day teams. She was the fourth official when Fulham took on Manchester United a few weeks ago. She refereed at the Women's World Cup. I think she's well-placed to do very, very well. And I hope she does. I really hope she does. Um, We need new referees in the Premier League because the current crop are atrocious. Also really good to see Sam Allison become the first black referee in the Premier League, 15 years since um, Uriah Rennie last refereed a Premier League game. And now Sam Sam Allison will fill that void and hopefully inspire more young black men to become referees because they're massively, massively underrepresented in the field. What else do we have for now? Um, Ange Postacoglu has a plan to deal with Spurs' ill-discipline. Obviously, too many red cards for Spurs this season so far, and Ange wants to pretty much stamp that out because it is costing his team points. Jurgen Klopp has talked about the European Super League and said that he hopes it gives UEFA a bit of a shake. Because Jürgen, I think, like most people, is unimpressed with how UEFA have gone about their business in recent years. I think they've just gotten very comfortable. And they had decided that it was going to be their way or no way. And now that the Super League has been deemed legal and absolutely fine to to get up and running. UEFA now have a real threat. Now, it's all well and good English clubs and whoever else coming out and saying, oh, we're not going to join it. The bottom line is that if all the top clubs start to migrate to it, they will join it. It's as simple as that. They will join it. Because it's no longer going to be a closed shop, I think when people start to learn more about it, if they bother to learn more about it, I think they'll become more accepting of the idea of it. Not necessarily the actuality of it, just the idea of it as a real threat to UEFA, to force change in UEFA. And I kind of feel like the whole purpose of it is to force change in UEFA. Now, originally... I think their idea was they were going to set it up basically like the NFL, you know, because they could see what big business the NFL is. Football's obviously a bigger sport and has more money in it. So if you set your league up the way the NFL is, where you've basically got the, the best of the best and all eyes are on it and you take the major clubs and they solely play in that competition, and they don't play maybe in their domestic leagues anymore, I genuinely think that would have 
absolutely trounced everything else. And people can say, oh, I wouldn't have watched it. Yes, you would. Yes, you would. It's nonsense. Every stadium would have been packed. Every game would have drawn huge numbers. You're telling me if Real Madrid are playing Bayern Munich, you're not going to watch it? If Manchester United are playing Barcelona, if it's Liverpool PSG, if it's Arsenal against AC Milan, of course you're watching those games. Of course you are. Everybody would be. If they could have done it properly, it would have been an absolute home run, without doubt. And it would have generated incredible funds for those clubs. Now, obviously, it would have had a negative effect on the domestic leagues and whatever else. But like at the end of the day, I, I constantly see fans of non-Big Six clubs wishing the Big Six would go away. You know, I see Everton fans talk about how the greedy six are all behind the conspiracy to do Everton in because apparently they're afraid of Everton. Well, why are you then against the idea of the big six going off to join a breakaway league and and leaving you in the Premier League? The bigger issue for the Premier League is that Villa and Newcastle would want to go as well. Like, if you boiled it down, City, Liverpool, Spurs, Arsenal, United and Chelsea would all have gone. And Newcastle and Villa would have wanted in as well. So there's eight English clubs that would have wanted to be part of it. In Germany, Bayern, Dortmund, Leipzig, 100% would have been in. Leverkusen. Probably could have bumped it out with some of the bigger clubs, Stuttgart, Schalke. They're not as competitive, but in that league with access to that type of money, they would have quickly become competitive. You probably would get, you could probably put together a 40-team European Super League of top, top big clubs. You've got all the big clubs in Italy, big clubs in Spain. I must actually do this. I might must write down my list of what it would be. And then you split it into two conferences. And you go from there. I think it would have been great. I do. I think it would have been great. Uh, anyway, let's get the gossip going. We're going to take an early break. We're going to go to Guy. And we're going to run through this weekend's futures and get ourselves finished for Christmas. Um, Juventus have entered talks with Manchester City over a loan deal for Calvin Phillips. The 28-year-old has been to- has told Manchester City he wants to leave. And Newcastle are also interested. Arsenal are considering a £52 million move for Goncalo and Ascio. No, they're not. Chelsea will block any advances from Tottenham for Conor Gallagher despite uncertainty over his contract situation. I mean, he doesn't even get in the Spurs team, so I don't know why Spurs would want him. Tosin Adarabayo has told Fulham he wants to leave the club next summer on a free transfer. He has been linked with Tottenham and Monaco. Tottenham will turn to other defensive targets if they do not get encouragement from Jean-Claire Tadebo in the next few weeks. He's also been linked to Manchester United. United, they've been linked to Radu Dragazin. Either one of them would be would be great. Tadebo's more developed as things stand, but either one would, would be great for Spurs. Wren are open to parting ways with Nemanja Matic, who only joined them in the summer. Barcelona and Real Madrid are leading the chase to sign Mason Greenwood. I bet they're not. Former Nottingham Forest boss Steve Cooper is top of Crystal Palace's managerial shortlist and he could be approached with Hodgson considering retirement again. It'd be great if Hodgson would just retire now, but I think it's a little bit too quick for Cooper to jump straight into another job. Juventus and England under 21 winger Samuel Illing Jr. is attracting interest from Tottenham, Villa and Brighton. He doesn't get any of their teams. None of those moves help his career in the next two years. Palace would be the best move in England for him. 
Uh, Juventus have not ruled out signing Thiago Jallo, although a deal oh, in January, but a deal for next summer looks more likely. West Ham and Fulham are keen on a Cor Adams who could leave Montpellier for a fee between 15 and 20 million. Will someone please sign Gift Urban? Like, genuinely, someone go and sign Gift Urban in this January transfer window. Bring him to England and let's let's see what that kid can do. West Ham are yet to hold talks with David Moyes about renewing his contract. It's become pretty obvious that they're not going to hold talks. It really has. Nottingham Forest have accepted a bid of more than €5 million for Gustavo Scarpa from Atletico Mineiro. Now, he's been on loan at Olympiacos. It didn't really work once he moved to England. He couldn't sell. Then he had to go home because he got scammed or something mad. I don't know. It was all very, very weird. Him leaving Palmieri's at 28 to come to Europe was just a bit odd anyway. Like He left it too long. Brentford, Crystal Palace, Fulham. Brentford, Crystal Palace and Fulham are interested in Hetafe's 26-year-old Spanish striker, Borja Mayoral. Um, Mayoral? He, he, is, he is talented. He's done well at Hetafe. Really good season so far. He's got 12 goals in 18 games. But it is by far the best season of his career. And he'll be 27 before the season's out. I do have concerns about that. Bournemouth are remaining strong in their stance that Dominic Slanky is not for sale in January. That makes sense. Chelsea have agreed a deal with Darhu Saloum to sign their 17-year-old Senegalese midfielder, Pape Duade Dion. I'd never heard of him. West Ham and Everton are interested in a January deal for Peterborough and England under-21 defender Ronnie Edwards. And really don't understand how Ronnie Edwards is still in League One. He could absolutely play in the Premier League tomorrow. Brighton should be signing him to replace Joel Veltman. Like, he is tailor-made to replace Joel Veltman as that defensive right-back. Right, we'll take a break. We'll be back with Guy after this. Right, welcome back. We are joined, as always, on a Friday by Mr. Guy Drinkle. How are you, sir? It's blowing a bloody gale, Dave. It is. It's doing the same here, actually. And I'm not quite, not quite happy with it to be totally honest. But it's not too cold here, so I don't really mind too much. Um, this will be the last round of games before Christmas, and we won't have a pod predicting the the games on Christmas Eve and such. Um, because, well, you know. Sorry, on, on Stevens's day and or Boxing Day, depending on where you are. So we're just going to go go and do this round of games. Obviously, one of them took place last night, Brighton Crystal Palace. But we've got nine games. Actually, we've only got eight games to get through because City are away at the World Club Cup nonsense. So uh, we've got eight games. Let's get into them. Yeah, and we start tonight with Villa hosting Sheffield United, Dave. Um I mean, Villa obviously had a bit of a weird game against Brentford, but again, say it every week, home game, very different, and it is Sheffield United. Yeah, well, Villa are six wins from six in the Premier League um, over, over the last six games. And in the last six away games, the Sheffield United have one draw and five defeats. So you've got the best home team in the league against the worst away team in the league. Villa can go top this weekend. They'll go top tonight if they win. And if Liverpool and Arsenal fail to find a victor, then Aston Villa will be top for Christmas, which is a pretty incredible thing. Now, they do have some injury issues. Emi Buendia and Tyron Mings obviously done for the season. Yuri Thielemann's out for a couple of weeks. Bubakar Kamara being out suspended, that is a big blow for this Christmas period. How Torres is a doubt. Robin Olsen's out, wouldn't be playing anyway, and Bertrand Traore is still out. The the Bubakar Kamara and Pau Torres ones are blows. Um, 
Telemans they have cover for, and he's not necessarily an every game starter anyway. They can just bring in Jacob Ramsey. But no Kamara's a big blow. Sheffield United, they are without Chris Basham, Reese Norrington Davies, John Egan, Tom Davies, Daniel Jebison, and Rian Brewster. That's better than normal for them, but still missing some important players. They'll be hoping that, you know, Chris Wilder can work a bit of magic, but I think you'd have to just fancy Aston Villa to win this game without much in the way of a hassle and go top. So I'm going to go, I'll go 3-0 to Aston Villa. Yeah, I'd probably say something similar. Uh, So we'll move on to the Saturday then. Uh, Busy day of football. Well, they usually cram stuff in to avoid Christmas Eve, but this this year they went, nah, fans, you can go on Christmas Eve. But we'll talk about that once we get to that game. Um, West Ham hosting Manchester United, Dave. Obviously, United got a good result last week, but that is no sustainable way of playing football against good teams. So West Ham's obviously a much different challenge to Liverpool. I mean, how do United approach this one? Well, they're going to have to be a little bit more open, aren't they? Because... Like that performance last weekend, I hope they enjoy their point, but that performance was an embarrassment and they should take no pride from playing that way. You're Manchester United. You're meant to be one of the biggest clubs in the world. That was horrific to watch. It was embarrassing to see your team turn up and play like that. Now, United, away from home, have actually been really good of late. Uh, in the last six away games, they have four wins, one draw, and one defeat. Their home form is what been the problem this year. At home, West Ham are eighth in the league in the form table. Last six games, three wins, two draws, one defeat. Going into the game, West Ham, no Mikel Antonio, Naif Agard should be okay. Max Cornet should be okay. United obviously battling a lot of injury issues at the moment. No Malashia, no Martinez, no Casemiro, no Mount, no Lindelof, no Maguire. Uh, Diogo Delo will be suspended. Christian Eriksen is a doubt. Bruno Fernandes is back, so that's obviously a big help. Martial should be okay. Sancho's not allowed play because he hurt the manager's feelings. And Ahmed Diallo is out. It's a lot of players to be without. And West Ham, after the embarrassment of what happened to them in the week and the hammering that they took, the second hammering that they've had in the last week and a half, they'll want to bounce back and they'll want a result here. And Moyes will want a result because... His record against United since leaving has not been good enough. And he'll know that with a win here, they can go above United in the Premier League table. If results go their way, they could go into Christmas sixth, which would be a really good achievement, all things considered. You know, they sold Declan Rice in the summer. They were expected to maybe struggle without him. Uh, They've been better without him, in truth. Now, it's not because he's gone. It's because of how they use the money. Alvarez has been good. Kudus has been very good. Bowen playing through the central now, that's something that's working really well. They're getting great performances from Lucas Paqueta, who they were quite fortunate to keep in the summer. I'm going to go West Ham to win. I'll go 2-1. Yeah, yeah. There's still a lot of defensive injuries that you mentioned at United and... If West Ham do click in that area and Paquetta starting, which he did in the midweek, I think that could cause them bother as well. Mm. But uh, as you say, United do spawn their way through games at times, so who the hell knows. Um, moving on to the three o'clock, then we have Fulham-Burnley up first. Um, Fulham had a bit of a weird week. The Jimenez red card still astonishes me <laughs> from the last weekend, but they did progress to a semi-final in the middle of the week, obviously mm. winning 90 minutes, but... Even if it was a Premier League game, a draw against Everton, the way they're playing is still a good result. Um, but a bit of a mixed week, and you'd have to say again, Fulham, it's a good opportunity for them to win again. But at the same time, Burnley going to Fulham, 
you'd look at the schedule and say there's points there? Yeah, there could well be. I mean, there could well be. Uh, Burnley have been slightly better away than at home this year, though that's not hard because their home form has been an abomination. Uh, Last six games at home, Fulham fifth in the form table, four wins, two defeats, three wins on the bounce since that defeat at home to United. Uh, Like you said, the, (laughs) the Jimenez red card, I, I'd love to know what he was thinking. I, I'd love some explanation as to what he was thinking. But look, they've got Rene- Rodrigo Muniz back fit. They've got uh, Vinicius Sousa. So they should be okay. They should be okay. Um, Burnley away from home are 17th in the form table. One win, one draw and four defeats in their last six away games. Uh, Burnley injury wise, uh, no Koliashu. He's done for the season, unfortunately, which is such a shame because he was playing really well. Uh, Goodmanson is a doubt. Cork is a doubt. Taylor's back, and they're hopeful that Aaron Ramsey is back. So that could be a big boost to him because he's very, very talented. Fulham, no Jimenez, obviously, uh, no Tim Ream, and no Adama Traore. Fulham are at home. And I'm just going to back Fulham to win because they're the better team. And obviously with a win here, Fulham could go to Christmas in the top half, which when you consider they lost Mitrovic, they almost lost Paulinho, they almost lost Marco Silva. That's a really good first half of the year. I know it's not; it's one game shy of the first actual half, but through 18 games, if you told them, look, you'll be 10th, they would have snapped your hand off because last season, obviously they started really well and they were top six for a good chunk of the season. And then they started to fall off a bit and they ended up in 10th and any newly promoted team that finishes in the top half, it's a really good achievement, but we know about second season syndrome. We know what that, what that does to certain clubs. And when they lost Mitrovic, my first thought was they're really going to struggle. And then it looked like they were going to lose Paulinho, and I thought they might actually go down here. But they kept Paulinho. They've performed well above what I expected of them, and I'm going to back them to win. I don't think it'll be a pretty game. I'll go 2-1. Yeah, do you think maybe... I think Paulinho would have been a step too far, but maybe Mitrovic going forced a refresh, so it kind of counted second season syndrome a smidge. Yeah, in a way, because they're, they last year they were very reliant on him. And you remember when he got suspended for the incident at Old Trafford? Mm. And they sort of didn't know how to play without him. Because he's quite a he's quite a unique number nine. And not only is he a good goal scorer, but he's incredibly good at holding the ball up and bringing others in, which Jimenez is quite good at. But not to the same level. He's not. He's just simply not as big as Mitrovic. He doesn't have that kind he of. He does it in a different right? way as well. He does, and he works the channels more. So rather than just lumping the long ball up at the striker and then trying to run off on win second balls, now they're playing more balls into the channels. They're getting more involvement from their wide players. I think we've seen Andreas Pereira have a little bit less involvement than he did last season. But we're seeing more from Willian. We're seeing more from Harry uh, Harry Wilson. And the results are, well, I mean, like 10th last season, 11th this season, you know, the results are are holding about right. So I think Marco Silva's done a great job. I really do. And yeah. they have to back him in January. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you mentioned being in the top half. It, Chelsea obviously have a weird game on, on the Sunday and it's difficult against Wolves. They could be top of West London again. Or was yeah. It Brent? Was it Brent? I can't remember who finished there, but I think both of them beat Chelsea last season. But yeah, Brentford were ninth. Yeah. Brentford were ninth, Fulham were tenth, and Chelsea were twelfth last year. Yeah, mm. uh, even even Crystal Palace, not West London, obviously, but London finished above Chelsea last year. Had it not been for West Ham letting the team down, but they did win in, win a cup in Europe. So I mean, Chelsea were, were London's worst club last season because. They finished four points ahead of Chelsea, ahead of West Ham in the league, but West Ham won won a trophy. So, you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully that will hold, and we might get some sort of repeat of that this year. Now, we would need Palace and Brentford to book up their ideas 
And to be fair, Luton is not London, but it's close in proximity. So they're going to finish below Chelsea without question. But Still time. Still time. Still time. The fire sale that's going to come at Chelsea in the summer of 2025 is going to be the most magnificent thing you've ever seen as they try and get, you know, 25 million in for Moises Caicedo and the same friends of Fernandez just to make up for the losses that they're making. Their next two sets of accounts are going to be absolutely hilarious because the way they have spent, how poor they have been, the fact that they're miles off Champions League again this season. And like, you look ahead to next season, and yes, you'll expect them to be better, but we don't know that Todd Bowley won't sack Pochettino and bring in somebody else, which will mean starting over. We don't know that Todd Bowley's not going to sign another 11 footballers. We don't know what's going to happen, but what we do know is that Liverpool, Arsenal, City, Spurs, and Villa, and Newcastle are all significantly better than Chelsea, and none of them look likely to take a step backwards. They might they might not progress, but they're not going to take a step backwards. And I would guarantee that at least two or three of them will get better, which means not only did Chelsea have to catch up to where they are now, they've got to catch up to where they'll be. I don't think Chelsea are going to get Champions League next season because of the gulf. And if they miss Champions League for three years in a row, their accounts will be an absolute scandal. And they're going to have to just sell whatever it is they can sell because you've got to keep your profit and sustainability within the margins. And we've just seen what happened to Everton. And Everton was an accidental... Well, it wasn't. It was blatant cheat. But Everton were were deemed to have accidentally gone beyond the threshold. Chelsea, there's no accidental here. Chelsea are purposely breaking the rules with their spending and they're going to get a significant punishment at some point if they can't dig themselves out of the mess and get into Champions League. Yeah, there's definitely a fire sale summer, maybe even winter break podcast in yeah. somewhere, isn't there? Um, yeah, we'll come to Chelsea in a few games, well, in a lot of games times. Uh, but I'd back Fulham there as well. Next up, we have Luton hosting Newcastle. Dave, obviously, Luton, sad circumstances last weekend. Um, so we don't have much of a reference for the form, etc. But we do on Newcastle. And the tiredness is obviously a factor. But at the minute, it is individuals letting them down. And I, Kieran Trippier, who mm. I know you're not his biggest fan, but his time at Newcastle up until now, he's been, I've been very good. Very, um, yeah, absolutely. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Reliable is really yeah. what I'm looking for. And this week, he, well, last month or so, he's just absolutely imploded. He has. He's been an abomination. And um, he was dreadful against Everton, cost him two goals. Dreadful against Spurs, cost him a goal. Obviously, obviously cost him a goal and then missed the penalty in the week in the cup game. And uh, he just looks, he looks knackered. He just looks exhausted. So it might be time to sit him down and go Livermento right back, Lewis Hall left back and, you know, start playing to the future. You're still in the mix for top four this season, obviously, but it does look a little bit unlikely because as things stand, Newcastle are nine points behind Aston Villa. And that's before we take into account that Man City, Liverpool and Arsenal are all pretty much nailed on for top four. Like, it'd be stunning if one of them doesn't get top four. So you've got to catch Villa and they're nine points clear of you. And their home form is incredible. You've also got Spurs who are ahead of you and look better than you. So for Newcastle, I feel like it's going to be Europa League this season. And I think you can get that regardless by playing those young fullbacks, Livermento and Hall, and building for the future. Those two 
with Sven Botman is three quarters of your long-term backline. So why not let's see what it looks like? And then you can figure out what type of centre-back you need. And I can tell you already, the centre-back you need is the fellow who's been currently linked with a move to Spurs and a move to Manchester United in Jean-Claire Tadebo. If you want the ideal centre-back to fit next to Sven Botman, with those two attack-minded fullbacks, he's the guy. Then you sit Gamerish in front of them doing what he does and whichever eights you want. And all of a sudden, you're going to be a pretty complete defensive unit. Nick Pope's a very reliable goalkeeper. You've already got a proven defensive structure. Hasn't been as good this year as last year, obviously. But still the joint fourth best defence in the league, despite the fact that you've leaked quite a few goals in the last couple of Premier League games. that you Well, the, the, the couple that you lost. So... The Toon going to uh, Luton. Toon's away form has not been good. One win, two draws and three defeats in the last six. Lost the last three. Luton's home form. One win, one draw, four defeats. But that doesn't really tell the story because they gave Arsenal a really tough time and should have gotten a point. And they gave City a really tough time. Now, I don't think they deserved anything from that game, but they were ahead in that game. So this will be a tough game for Newcastle, especially coming off three straightaway defeats and with the longest list of absentees in the Premier League. 13 players out or doubtful this weekend. No Tonali, no Pope, no Murphy, no Barnes, no Willock, no Anderson, no Gordon, no Kraft. Isak's a doubt. Shar's a doubt. Shar has, has a buttock injury. That's what it's down as. A buttock injury. A sore arse. Um, Jolington's a major doubt. Mankio is out and Target is out. Like, that's a lot of players to be without. Mm. An awful lot of players to be without. Uh, Luton, now obviously we know they won't have Tom Lockyer. And we don't know if and when, if or when they'll get him back. Uh, Marvellous Nakamba, I believe, is back. Collie Woodrow looks like he should be back, at least on the bench. Dan Potts. And Reese Burke, they're looking like it'll be January for those two. They haven't they haven't kicked the ball all season. Uh certainly Dan Potts hasn't. Um I, I kind of fancy Luton to get something here. Just given they're at home and Newcastle's away form has been so bad and they're missing so many players. I kind of fancy Luton to get a draw. I'd like to say a win, but I just don't have any faith in them. I'll go a draw. I'll go 1-1. Yeah, you do wonder if Newcastle may rotate a bit because Trippier, I mean, even when you've got the BBC saying don't be mean to him and stuff like that, which is astonishing. (laughs) Good Lord. Um, I mean, that is probably the one area of the pitch to do have options, as you said, so take him out the firing line. Yeah, give him a rest. Give him. What have they got? They've got Luton and then they're home to Forest on, on Boxing Day. And then it is away to Liverpool. Why not rest them for this game and the Forest game and then bring them back in for Liverpool? You know, give them that week to just let his body recover. Kieran Trippier is an older player now. I know he still looks like he's 12, but he is tw- he is 33 years of age. He's got a lot of miles on him. And he's got some hard miles on him as well, because let's not forget, he played three years in the Championship. And then he spent a year under Sean Dyche in the Premier League, which means, you know, backs to the wall and and let's start pumping water overboard. So he's got 506 career club games and 46 internationals. You know, 552 games is, is a lot of football, especially as a right back whose primary th- trait is his attacking and his overlapping. And his ability to get forward and get crosses in. So a lot of hard miles put on Kieran Trippier. And we've seen it before with some players where just out of nowhere, the physical side just falls off a cliff. And maybe that's what's happening to Kieran Trippier. But what I will say is the mistakes that he's made in recent games, they're all concentration errors. So that points to him just being tired, exhausted and needing a break. So I'd be sitting him for this one. And for Forrest, if I was Eddie Howe. 
Yeah, I'd agree with that. Because well, Livermento has been excellent as well. So getting more. I really wish we'd gotten him. Yeah. I think he's absolutely fantastic. He really is, isn't he? The, um, anyway, next game, uh, which you mentioned Nottingham Forest there. They are hosting Bournemouth, Dave. Again, Bournemouth didn't play the entirety of last mm. game. Um, but Forest, new era. You've obviously had the whole week discussing Nuno and Steve Cooper, etc. Uh, my two pence, uh, two cents, not the most inspiring, but I think his squad, his ideas does suit that squad at least. Yeah, yeah, like that's the thing. Stylistically, he's a good fit for that squad. He's going to want to play a back three, you'd imagine. Um, his brand of football is dour, but you know, Steve Cooper's not exactly playing exciting football either. Um, he does know Morgan Gibbs White from their time together at Wolves. One minor issue might be, though, I'm fairly certain there was a bit of a falling out between them which ended up with Gibbs White on multiple loans and then not wanting to stay even though um, even though Nuno was gone. So I, we'll wait and see. We'll wait and see what happens. I do think... I do think Nuno has at least... He's a proven ability to get players to overperform. You know, you look back at what he did at Wolves, you know, multiple top half finishes with a lot of average players, some really good ones, but a lot of average players. Um, and if that's Forrest just needs someone that's going to get them results right now. Their home form has been poor. One win, two draws, and three defeats in the last six. And the three defeats are all the last three result three games. Bournemouth, they're away form. Three wins, three defeats, but they've won their last three away from home. If you look at the overall form table over the last six games, they're fifth. Four wins, a draw, and a defeat. If you look at the last 10, they're ninth, whereas Forest are 18th in the last 10 and bottom in the last six with only one point. So Bournemouth very much coming in as the informed team. Forest. A number of injuries, players lacking in confidence, whereas Bournemouth, the players are bouncing into games. Uh, Bournemouth, no Adams, no Aarons, no Hamid Traore, no Lloyd Kelly. Semenyo's a doubt, Kirkes is a doubt, Randolph is a doubt, Fredericks and Mercondes are out. So they're not going to be close to full strength either. But Forrest, actually, to be fair, Forrest's injury issues have very much cleared up. The only one definitely out is Teo. Felipe, Sanger, and Aurier could all potentially be good to go in this one. They're all getting fitness tests. If Forrest are close to full strength, Teo is a huge blow. But if they're close to full strength, they're at home, new manager bounce. Bournemouth, you'd wonder, is there... Like, that was a horrible scene last weekend. And you'd wonder, will there be any kind of psychological hangover for those players? Because, you know, I know Lockyer's not their teammate, but they were there. They saw it happen. So it has to have an effect on them as well. Um, do you know what? I'll go new manager bounce three points. I'll give Forrest the win. We'll say 2-1. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. I think the thing with Nuno, what I remember from Wolves is just, he always picked like the same 13 players. And I know that's difficult at Forest seeing as they have 200 players, but Steve Cooper doesn't never seem to get round to that point. So maybe Nuno can instill that at least. Um, but yeah, yeah I think that's fair. Yeah. Steve Cooper, you could tell in the last few weeks, he was desperately just kind of scrambling, hoping that something would work and nothing really worked. So Nuno is much better. Nuno is going to make this massive squad quite small. And there's going to be a lot of players that find that they're just not going to be playing. So um, they might want to consider selling some players in January because he's not going to want that big, massive squad that they've got there. It should be interesting, though. It really should be. And I'll also be interested to see if they buy in January. Does bringing in Nuno potentially get them the foot in the door with George Mendes? So can they now start to tap into some of the 
Portuguese clients that Mendes might be trying to shift around the place? Maybe. Wolves aren't spending. So maybe it'll be Forrest. Yeah, and Wolves seem to move on to a younger signs as well, didn't they? We've all up with the young French lads the bought and uh, I can't remember the country Triora is from, but they've definitely changed tact a bit there. Yeah. Um anyway, we don't want to get on a uh tangent. Not today. <laughs> uh, no, not, not today. today. No, it's too too close to Christmas for tangents. Uh next up uh, the last three o'clock then we have Tottenham hosting Everton Dave. Um Everton just in really good form. It's so hard to predict. Um they could take advantage of the defensive Miss of Van der Ven, um, but you'd probably still make Tottenham favourites. It's a hard one to call. Yeah, you'd have to make them favourites. I mean, they are at home. Everton are in great form, obviously, and their away form is the best in the league. Five wins and, a, and one defeat from their last six. Spurs, they've obviously been a bit of a mixed bag of late because of the injuries and suspensions, so... They've got three wins and three draws from the last six home games. Um, Spurs need this win. Everton obviously do as well because they're trying to stay in the division and they're trying to push away from that that bottom three. And they're also aware that there could be a further points deduction coming their way if they get put into administration. Now, Spurs... No Perisic, no Bentoncourt, no Van de Ven, no Madison, no Sessegnon, no Basuma, who's suspended. No Manor Solomon, no Destiny, a doggy, uh, which is a blow. But Lacelso's back, Brennan Johnson is back, and Alfie Whiteman is out. Everton, no Deli Ali, but it's great to see him back in training. Uh, Seamus Coleman's a doubt, Ashley Young is a doubt, Abdullah Dekure is a doubt. But Michael Enko's back, and that's big. And Andre Gomes is out. So um, it's two managers I really like for completely different reasons. They're like the polar opposites of each other. Um, but they're both really likable personalities that don't suffer fools and don't deal with bullshit. So um, I'm going to go for... I'm going to go for... I'll go a draw. I'll go a draw. I want to say I want Spurs. I I want Spurs to win because I want Ange to do well. But you have to give respect to Everton and how they're playing. So I'll go the draw. I'll go 2-2. Yeah. I think if Everton can take advantage of the defensive injuries, they can score goals. But that attacking unit of Spurs is just very fluid. Mm, That's the thing. Yeah. And you'd wonder with how much of the ball Spurs will have and how high they play, can Everton, especially if Dekure is out, can Everton bully them the way they've bullied other clubs? Like we saw that we've seen them bully Brighton under De Zerbi since Deich came in. And obviously there's some similarities in how Spurs play and how Brighton play. But Brighton... Brighton aren't as fluid moving from the back as Spurs. Spurs get it forward quickly and then they build in the opposition half, whereas Brighton like to mm-hmm. take things a bit more methodically. I will go... Do you know what? No, I'm going to go Spurs win. I'm going to go 2-1 to Spurs. Yeah, as I, as I said, hard one to predict that one. <laughs> um, moving on to the big one, then the half-five kickoff, we have Liverpool hosting Arsenal, Dave. Um, I mean, it's kind of become not as big a factor, but the old cliche, if you top at Christmas, you tend to win the league, unless unless you're Liverpool or Arsenal against Man City, which is annoying. Um, but it is a bit of folklore, so it is kind of important. Liverpool, obviously, excellent home record, disappointing result last weekend, and more so the performance. Um, but Arsenal's record at Anfield is not great, and a, is it only Villa and Newcastle they've played away in the Big seven, or whatever the hell we call it nowadays. Yeah. They played uh, Villa, Newcastle and Chelsea of the big eight, and they haven't won any of them. They've taken one draw. And I don't know. I, I just, I'm not hugely impressed by them. I don't think they're as good as they were last season, 
Now, they're away form. They've won three, drawn one and lost two of their last six. Uh, Liverpool, five wins and a draw in their last six at home. Obviously, the draw was that horrendous game against United. Otherwise, it would be six from six. Injury-wise, Arsenal, no Vieira, no Tommy Asu, no Partey, uh, no Jorginho, no Mohamed Elneny, no Julian Timber. Liverpool, no Matip, no Alcantara, no Robertson, no Jota, no McAllister, no Bastetic, and a doubt over Ryan Gravenberg. So we'll see, but I I fancy Liverpool to win. I just do. I fancy Liverpool at home. After how they played in midweek, if they play like they did against West Ham, they will beat this Arsenal team. They won't beat them 5-1, obviously, but I think they'll beat them 3-1, and that's what I'm going with. I'm going with 3-1 because I'm just... I watched this Arsenal team, and the goalkeeper is poor, regardless of which one it is. They're poor. Ben White is, is not a great player. Like, he's a good player, He's good on the ball, and that makes up for some of the defensive flaws. But I feel like if Liverpool put Darwin up against him, he will cause Ben White tons of problems. Zinchenko against Salah? Really? Is that what I'm meant to believe in? And you look at Saliba's defensive uh, defensive numbers, and they're not good. Like, he doesn't do a whole lot, and what he does, he doesn't do at an elite level. Teams just don't really challenge them enough. I think he can get in behind that midfield. I don't like the balance in midfield if Havertz is the one playing there, which I assume he will be on the left-hand side. It also means Rice in his less optimal position. And their attack, while all exceptionally talented, and we know it's a good attack, we saw that last season, it just hasn't been as good this season. Like, Last week, they absolutely wiped the floor with Brighton for a large spell of that game. And yet they only scored one goal. And Brighton easily could have gotten on level terms before Arsenal got their second. Pascal Gross missed that massive chance. I feel like Liverpool are a significantly better team than Brighton. And they have that Anfield hoodoo over Arsenal as well. Arsenal don't like playing at Anfield. And if the crowd is up for it, and the crowd need to be up for it, I think Liverpool will beat will beat Arsenal. I think they'll overrun them, and I think they'll beat them. I'm going to go three one to the Reds. Yeah, and I think quite a lot depends on how Klopp sets them up. I know the inverted thing has worked at times, but if we if we take some of the inverting and some of the midweek, I think it can still work really well. But if we do the full inverted thing, and Martinelli's got a Play well, Ebu's got to play up against Jesus and Martinelli. It's good, it's just going to make it a mess. So, if we play an actual right back or play Trent as an actual right back, it I think Liverpool have the favor. But if we do the inverted Trent thing, it just depends if Martinelli has one of his days. I think, yeah, that's the big thing. How, how do Liverpool line up? I want Trent in midfield, I want to see Gomez, Canate, Virgil, Costas, Trent, Endo. Jones, Salah, Darwin, Dominic. That's what I want to see. But I'm assuming it will be Trent right back, Dominic in midfield and probably Darwin left wing and Gakbo through the middle. And if it's that, great, but it has to be a 4-3-3. It can't be the galaxy brain nonsense because it's not working. It's not working at all. So here's hoping Klopp doesn't do anything foolish. Yeah, plus I don't want to see Trent dueling against Declan Rice. It wouldn't be that fun. <laughs> Seeing that he didn't tackle for the first 10 games of the season. Uh, but anyway, um, yeah, that wouldn't be hard to predict. But if Liverpool turn up, Anfield, etc., that'd probably favour us as well. But that might be biased. Who knows? But moving on to Christmas Eve then, Dave. I mean, firstly, your thoughts on it being Christmas Eve? I mean, it's for, for away fans, it is London to the Midlands. It's a it's not the biggest journey, but it's a bit crap for fans, isn't it? I think it's great, personally. Um, I mean, what else are you going to do in Wolverhampton on Christmas Eve other than go to a game? You know, you have to factor in, these people live in Wolverhampton, guy. They have to have I some like joy. This is just life. a shot at gags, but, you know. Just, listen, they have to have, a, have something to do in their lives. Otherwise, they'd all just be sitting around being miserable in Wolverhampton. 
And Chelsea don't travel in big numbers anyway. So, again, what would they be at? No, I'm delighted. It's one o'clock. It's a one o'clock game. How long does it take to get from London to Wolverhampton? London to Wolverhampton. Takes three hours and 15 minutes. You leave at eight o'clock in the morning. You're there by half 11, let's say quarter to 12, given it's, you're on a bus. Get into the ground. Game's over by three. You're back on the coach by four. You're home by eight o'clock. Plenty of time to do whatever it is you need to do on Christmas Eve. No, I'm happy. Good enough for them. Um, <laughs> uh, you just want something to watch. I just want something to watch. I don't care that these people have to travel to the game. So I just want something to watch. Simple as that. Uh, Wolves, no Johnny Otto, no Joe Hodge. But, but, Pedro Neto looks like he's back. Jose Sa should be back. And Nelson Semedo should be back. So really good news for Wolves. No Fafana. Reese James has had surgery and is out for three to four months. Uh, no Mark Kukurea, no Robert Sanchez, no Ben Chilwell, no Romeo Lavia, no Trevo Chalaba, no Lesi Ogachoku, no Kani Chukwemeka. Doubts over Levi Colwell, Noni Mudeki, and Enzo Fernandez. So uh, not a great time for Chelsea. Uh, Chelsea's away form. 1-3, lost three, but lost the last three in a row. Wolves home form, pretty good. 1-3, drawn three, unbeaten in six at home. I fancied them to make it seven. I'm going to go for the Wolves win. I'm going to go 2-1 to Wolves. I look at how they played against Liverpool. I look at how they played against City. I think they'll they'll do the same against Chelsea. I think it'll be a good atmosphere. I'm going to go for the Wolves win 2-1. Uh, we obviously saw Nkunku come back and we mentioned the struggles and getting top four as a necessity money-wise. Mm. How how big, it, one one tangent for Christmas, how big an impact do you think Nkunku can make for the rest of the season? Massive. He's a very, very good player and he's a source of goals and assists. However... We've seen other players who are a big source of goals and assists come across from the Bundesliga and struggle. Um, two of whom went to Chelsea and struggled and are both now gone. But I do think he's a, I do think he's more suited to the Premier League. Um, I'm really curious to see how they use him. That's the big thing for me. What position is he going to play? Because if he's your primary number nine... I'm not sure you're going to get, I suppose you go Sterling, him, and let's say Mudrik, who's starting to play quite well. There's probably enough goals there between him and Sterling. If he's your 10, I worry about your midfield. Because I've said before, I don't really like the pairing of Enzo and Caicedo now that I see it. Because they they both want to play in similar areas. And the reason Caicedo and Alexis worked was because Alexis would get forward. Yeah. Enzo doesn't want to. Enzo wants well. to sit deeper. Now, they've played Enzo as a 10 in a couple of games. It's been horrible. <laughs> so I, I, don't, I don't really know if they know what they're doing with these players. Um, and Gallagher's become so important to them, which is hilarious because they tried to sell him and apparently are again open to selling him. But he's become really important. So I don't really know what they're going to do with Nkunku. Will they use him in a wide area and keep Jackson as the nine? That's a possibility. But then, I mean, you've still got Nicholas Jackson up front. And that's Bid 80 mil for Ivan Tony playing Kunku left. Yeah, and Sir, Deal with money might. later. <laughs> I mean, that does seem like it might be the play. But again, then I worry about what's behind them all. I think Nkunku can can be a really good player for them. I, I don't think he's going to solve all their problems, though. E- even the, the attacking problems, I don't think he solves all of them. Yeah, it's certainly been. It's probably the one interesting thing from Chelsea, apart from the fact they're trying to gel 50 players, but it was exciting to see what he potentially 
come into the league to get injured in pre-season. As a somewhat neutral, I never want Chelsea to do well, but he's always been a player of interest. But yeah. Um, yeah, well, it's a tough one to predict because these are the games Chelsea have struggled with this season. And Wolves have been one of the teams who perform well against good teams, as you mentioned. Um, so yeah, that wouldn't surprise me if Wolves win. And that, that was the last game, Dave. That was the last game. And that is the last podcast until probably... Excuse me, probably Thursday of next week. Um, so go and enjoy your Christmases. Spend time with your families. Not too much time, though, because they'll only annoy you eventually. Thank you, as always, for listening. Thank you for listening continually through the year. Like I say, we'll be back Thursday and we'll have plenty to catch up on because there'll have been two round of games and there'll probably be some. There'll probably be some scandal somewhere and maybe Joey Barton will have done something stupid so I can rant about him again. But Merry Christmas to all. Take care. See you soon. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.